I was away for a week, and I sure missed you all. Had a great week, but I really missed being with you all. So it's very good to be here. Really thankful for all of uh, the, the guests we have here today, and, and we want to encourage you to stay around and let us get to know you. And, and if we can be of any spiritual service to you, we, we're here to, to draw people closer to Jesus. That's, that's our goal, is to make disciples and we, we would love to serve you, to pray with you, to study. If you have any questions, please let us know. This past week, we also finished up this Bible bracket that some of you participated in. It was a lot of fun. It's just, just something that, uh, that a friend and I put together and put out there on social media and on a website where we uh, encourage people in order to just generate some conversation about favorite Bible figures and that kind of thing. We put together a March Madness style bracket and let people vote their way through, you know, who's your favorite, Abraham or Noah? And it, we had great conversations with the kids and with a lot of different people. And, um, and the winner was Paul. It seems like not shocking, really, looking back. And when you get there, of course, Jesus isn't allowed to be in the bracket because he would win. It's like, that's like uh, the Golden State Warriors playing against a junior high team. That's not fair. But, but uh, we had a lot of fun going through this. And I was thinking about what makes Paul so special. Why do people love Paul so much? And, of course, Paul wrote 13 of our New Testament books, far more books than anybody else in the, in the Bible. He's responsible for carrying the gospel across the Roman Empire as the Lord blessed him in, in his work. And, and he had other partners, certainly. But Paul's beginnings were very different, weren't they? Saul of Tarsus and where he started. I mean, he was just, not only was he a persecutor of Christians, but the Jews around him must have thought, what happened to this guy? He was such a, a nice Jewish boy, you know? He was going to the Ivy League school of his time among the Jews, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. And then everything changed. And it makes you ask, why? Why did everything change for Paul? Why did he just change everything about his life? You know, sometimes I look at people and the crazy things they do, and I think, why do they do that? We were just watching a documentary the other day about people who jump into this icy water every morning. <laughs> like, what? What are you doing? Why would you do that? But I think people sometimes look at Christians and think, why do they do this stuff? Why do they change everything about their life, completely renovate all of their relationships, their choices, move across the country to, <laughs> for, for our family, you know, leave our jobs and move across the country to a place we don't know anybody. And each of us has a story and people look at you and think, why are they doing this? And they're so happy about it. <laughs> they make these sacrifices. They go through these difficulties. Their families shun them sometimes, and yet they rejoice. What is going on? Why do we do it? And to just boil it down really simply, because he lives. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that changed everything. It changed everything for Paul. 
Paul saw Jesus risen, one born out of season, after Jesus had already ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, he saw him on the road to Damascus and he changed everything. Why believe? Throughout my life and my journey of faith, I, I'm one of those people that questions things a lot. I'm just, just, it's my nature, it's a blessing, it's a curse, sometimes it's good, sometimes, but that's how, sometimes that's how I've strengthened my faith, but sometimes it has sent me spiraling, and there have been these times, especially earlier in, in my life, in my, in my teens, in my 20s, where I just, I just ask questions about everything, and I said, how can I know? What can I know? And I think some people think, why would you believe that someone could raise from the dead? <laughs> and what I've found as I have dug in and studied and thought about what I want my life to be and where I'm going to take my life and what I'm going to really, really believe. I don't want to just go through the motions of, you know, playing church or going through and, yeah, religion's nice, I'm going to do this. It's either yes and it's all yes, or it's no and what's the point? And I have found that in the resurrection of Jesus, I don't find a reason not to believe in the Bible. I find the foundational reason why I do believe the Bible. Because he lives. And so Peter says to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you and to do it with gentleness and respect. And in a small way, I'd like to offer an answer for my hope. The reason, the reason, not just a fanciful story, the reason I have hope and I want to offer hope to you. And if you as most of us do, believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again. I hope that this lesson just brings that much more comfort and strength and encouragement to you. And joy and hope. Because we all need to keep coming back to these basic truths, right? This is what we need. The gospel is not complicated but it is profound. And so I'm going to read a good bit of scripture, and I encourage you to, to pull out your Bibles and, uh, and, and read along with me and let these words that are so, most of them written by Paul, but so beautifully written through the Holy Spirit, bring you strength and encouragement. What if Jesus never arose? Well, what would the story be? What if, I mean, just think about that. What if he never took the keys to death and Hades, never conquered the power of Satan, never gave us hope beyond the grave? I mean, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, he is, he, he was a great teacher and, and he, what an awful tragedy to this death that he died. But that is the end of the story, right? But because he lives, because he reigns as a living body, 
at the right hand of God. We know that his death was more than a victim. Uh, someone taking someone and making them a victim and, and hanging them, though unjustly. We know that his death meant more. We know that his life meant more. And we know that his kingdom is in the world today. And someday everything's going to get even better. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. In fact, he talks a lot about what is vain in that book, in that chapter. And we'll get to that. Because Jesus died, my sins are gone. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is sometimes called Paul's resurrection chapter. A whole chapter, 58 verses, is all packed with a discussion of Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection because of Jesus' resurrection. But he starts with this message. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. That is the good news. There is something good that I have announced to you and I preached it to you, which you received in which you stand and by which, by this message, you are saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. There it is again. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. I handed on to you, Paul says, what somebody handed on to me. That Christ died for our sins. There was a purpose to Jesus' death. And he says he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He's pointing back to the Old Testament passages like Isaiah 53, where we read that Jesus bore our sins. He took the chastisement for our well-being and it was laid on him. And because of his wounds, we are healed. Because he died, my sins are gone. And because he lives, everything is different. He goes on to say that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. That Sunday, it was a Sunday, spring Sunday, like, like, uh, like Ralph said, right around this time of year. Right after the Passover. And Jesus was in a grave. Uh, a rich man's borrowed grave. And some women came and found that he wasn't there. And that day... Everything changed for you. Everything changed for me. It's no wonder that Sunday became the day that all of the early Christians started gathering together to remember him as we did earlier. It's no wonder that Sunday became the day that they would, they would call the Lord's Day to celebrate what they called the Lord's Supper because... It's the day, it's the most important day in history. That first day of the week. I want to share with you seven truths that are true today because of that day and what happened that Sunday morning. Well, because he lives, I have evidence that gives me faith. 
We already started reading this chapter, chapter 15. But notice, like I said, he says not only that he died according to, our script, according to the scriptures, but that he was buried and he rose on the third day. Why, does it, why is it so important that he was buried? I get that his death was a sacrificial death for our sins and that his resurrection conquered death. But why does his burial matter? And we could probably preach a sermon on that. There's, there's a lot to it. But one of, the, one of the reasons is that he went into the ground and he came out and there was an empty tomb there. There's this, uh, saw, this verse in the song that we just sang. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Well, why do I think it was empty? There's, there's a lot of reasons. Again, there's a lot to go into this, but if it wasn't, everybody could find this, this grave, right? And could drag out this body and just end this whole movement. The Jews, the Romans, everybody wanted to. There's a weird little account. If, if, the, if the disciples were making this up at the end of Matthew 28, that the, the Romans uh, posted guards so that the disciples wouldn't take the body. Why? Because Jesus was proclaiming that he would raise from the dead. Jesus not only left an empty tomb, but he left so many witnesses. The first witness is mentioned right here. Uh, says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The first witness or testimony of Jesus' resurrection came 700 years before Jesus even came to this earth. Whenever, for instance, I mentioned Isaiah 53, which is all about Jesus dying. The whole thing is about Jesus dying. And then it says in verse 10, but the Lord will prolong his days and he'll see his offspring. What? what? Which is it? Is he dying or will the Lord prolong his days? Well, it's both. That was a mystery people were trying to figure out. But now we understand. We understand what, what David meant in Psalm 16, verse 10, when he said, you won't let your Holy One see corruption. You won't leave your Holy One in the grave. As Peter said on Acts 2, David's grave is here and I can find it for you as he stood in Jerusalem. He wasn't talking about himself. But the Lord Jesus did not see decay and was not left in the grave. And he left a lot of other witnesses. The first were those women who came to that grave now, this is an interesting thing that all of the Gospels bring up. The women were the first to see this empty tomb and to see Jesus. Now, in a culture where a woman was not allowed to testify to anything, the, the writings, I mean, it's, I know it's not politically correct, but the writings of the Jews at this time said over and over again, it is worthless to hear the testimony of a woman. That's what people thought. The people that, that these gospel writers were writing 
these accounts too. That's what Peter, the, the people were thinking when Peter preached to them these messages. And yet the story that they invented was that women were the first to see him. Why would they invent that story if it were not true? Reading on here in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, And that he appeared to Cephas, Aramaic for Peter, and then to the twelve. These were men who gained nothing. <laughs> gained no I mean, they lost everything, and they were killed for their testimony. Now, I understand that someone believing something doesn't make it true. And even someone dying for what they believe doesn't make it true. But just note what they believed. It wasn't something somebody told them. What they died testifying to was that they saw and touched and ate with the risen Lord that they saw crucified. They saw a spear go through his side. This is what they died to lived all their lives and died to tell people this really happened. I saw it. Then he goes on to say in the next verse, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And in case they were thinking, oh, that's a great story to make up. He said, most of whom are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep. In other words, don't believe me. Make a pilgrimage to just go catch up with all of them. And see what they have to say. I wish that we had some of them to just call up here. But you know what? We have quite a bit of testimony. We have quite a bit of testimony in the, the understanding of how we come to perceive what is true in history. And what a historian does, how do you know that Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address? You look at the data. And you say, well, what is the most logical, probable explanation? And unless you absolutely rule it out because a supernatural explanation can't be, the obvious historians have come to this conclusion, New Testament scholars, acknowledge these facts. And the most natural explanation is that Jesus actually did raise from the dead. He goes on in verse 7 to say, then he appeared to James. James is, is James, the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, somebody that is testified to by Josephus. He was known in Jerusalem. And we know that he didn't believe in Jesus before. So what changed? Well, the testimony of this passage, that this, this is a very early statement, scholars universally agreed what he's saying here. He's stating something that was an oral tradition that he had received and he had passed on. This is a statement and he's going through this very early statement. This isn't a legendary thing that was developed a hundred years later. This is written in the 50s and this statement goes even further back that he saw James and he saw that, that Peter saw him and the 12 saw him and then he says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, though he reigns as the Bible bracket champion, by the way. No. <laughs> he says, I'm, no, I'm nobody. <laughs> Who am I? And yet, Jesus came and showed himself to me. And so what could I do but tell everybody I meet? But go stand on mountaintops. Go stand at the temple gates and declare, this happened. See, the testimony of the New Testament, of all of Scripture, unlike a lot of other religions, is not, here are some true ideas. Or here are some helpful moral truths. The testimony of Scripture is, something has happened. It's a story. It's a true story about something that happened that changed everything. And that's what Paul goes from town to town telling people. It's here. I saw it. The kingdom has come. The Messiah reigns. It's a weird story. I know he died on a cross for our sins. And then he rose and people called him crazy. Festus said, I do believe your much learning has driven you mad. The Athenians were ready to hear all about it till he started talking about resurrection. What is he talking about? There is evidence to build a faith on. And there's a lot of other evidences I know throughout scripture. But the, the thing that I stand on the most is the thing that these apostles and early Christians stood on. That Jesus actually did raise from the dead. And because he lives, because of that, I don't have to fear death. Look at me, with me at John 11, verses 23 to 27. Here, Martha has come out to Jesus because her brother Lazarus has died. And Jesus says to her in verse 23... Well, she, she says to him in verse 21, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know God will give you what you asked. And Jesus says in 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know, I know. I've heard you teach and I believe it, that he's going to raise again on the last day. What we were talking about in Bible class. Someday, that last day, he's going to rise again. I know that. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I love it when Jesus asks questions like that. Because I feel like he's speaking right through the page. To me. Do you believe this? Though he die. He will live, and if you believe in me, to put it another way, you'll never die. Or as Paul says in Philippians 1, for to me, to die, to live is Christ, but to die is gain, to be with Christ. And then someday he looked forward to, as Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, the day when Jesus comes again and I rise and I'm given a body like he like he has. It's not the, just uh, not just an idea that helps us go to sleep at night. We stand on something that happened 
and it lets us know that Jesus is who he claimed he was, the resurrection and the life. And so Martha replied, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says, I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope when our brothers fall asleep. In Hebrews 2.14, we read about how Satan held people in slavery. And the slavery was this. It's so interesting. He doesn't even just say death, but he had the power to hold people in slavery because of the fear of death. Like people were just so scared. I mean, I get it. I've been there. Like thinking about, there were times in those dark nights of the soul when I was just spiraling into thinking about my mortality and just what that means and, and this end that is coming for me. And this seemingly without faith unknown that you step into But because he lives, I don't fear death. Because he lives, I can know what is waiting for me on the other side of this life. Because he lives, I have hope not just for myself, for my children. Isn't that a beautiful verse, that second verse? How sweet to hold our newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still, the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days. Why? Because he lives. I don't know how you look into a child's eyes and tell them this is all there is. I know it's not much. Do what you can with it. Enjoy what you have because there's, it means nothing. It ends badly, sometimes worse for some than others. And this is what it is. This, this is life. This is the world. There is nothing beyond. Peter on the day of Pentecost, described Christ's resurrection. He said in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, this Jesus that you crucified, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he called people to save themselves in chapter 2, verse 40. He called them to repent and be baptized in chapter 2, verse 38. And he said in verse 39, the next verse, for the promise is for you and for your children. You know, they were, they were to understand the promise came and, and these, these are Jews that were hearing this word and he wants them to know the promise is for you and, and it's for the generations that come after you. There's this blessing, this gift that's coming to you. And so he says, save yourself. Because he lives, I have something to offer my kids. 
to say, you know what? There is more. We are here. You have a purpose. God made you. You exist for a reason. And that reason is, is worth spending a life on, doing hard things for. That, that, that purpose that you have is, is the great adventure you were, you were born for. To serve God, to follow Jesus through whatever dark shadows and great highs that it leads you through, through whatever good you are able to do with your unique mix of gifts and personality and op opportunities. And then someday, either Jesus will come again and everything will be good, or you'll die and you'll be with him, and then he'll come again and everything will be made new. Everything will be made new. <laughs> what a beautiful idea. Because he lives, I don't just look forward to that time when my spirit is separated from my body and I'm, I'm with, with Jesus, but because he lives, I will raise again. And I look forward to a new body and a new creation. We brought, it was, came up in class today, 2 Peter chapter 3, how, how this this world, everything we see, the earth and the heavens will dissolve, will melt. But according to the promise, verse 13 says, we look forward to a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Where righteousness dwells. Like of all the things that are going to live in this new creation, this, this, you know, the heavens and the earth were a universe that God made here. And here we are in this universe. But there is a new heavens and a new earth. There is a place, there's a, a new life coming. Where everything is good. None of the garbage will be there. God is the light. We are, it's all his temple. We're just living our lives with the best people in the world, those who choose Jesus, those who follow him, and with Jesus himself. And with a new body where it's not falling apart like this, you know? Look over at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beautiful chapter. This, this whole chapter is worth spending time with. But in verse 18, he said, For I consider the sufferings of this present time. Do you have sufferings in this present time? Paul did too. And he said, I consider these sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. There's that vanity idea again. Worthlessness. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation... But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our 
bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. He said earlier in the chapter, verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. The spirit that raised Jesus is the spirit that is already in you. <laughs> already your spirit is made new. It's already prepared. Your inner life, your inner person for that new heavens, for that to be with God in heaven. You are already within you that kind of a citizen of heaven. But someday, what's become new within us will become new without. And we'll have, don't ask me to explain it, Paul says it's a mystery, but we'll have a new kind of body that is immortal. A body that's like Jesus had as he walks around here in his risen body. The body that now is at the right hand of God. Someday there will be a calling out from the graves, Jesus says in John 5. And a new life where our body and our spirit and all of creation last forever in glory with God. No more Arthritis, <laughs> no more cancer, no more old men sitting down going, mm, as we sit down, right? Or every time you stand up, it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> my wife says, uh, I'm, she knows that I'm getting old because of that noisiness every time I stand up. But someday it'll all be new. And because he lives, because of all of this, my life and my struggles have meaning. Remember I said in chapter 15, he kept using this word. Six times he uses this word, vain. Makes you think back to Ecclesiastes, right? Vanity of vanity. Everything is emptiness. Everything is worthless. What's the point? It's futility. And that's the perspective under the sun. But in Jesus' resurrection, everything has changed. He says, unless you believed in vain, in verse 2. He talks about uh, grace toward me was not in vain, in verse 10. He uses the word twice in verse 14. And then he comes back to it at the end of the chapter. He says that, I tell you, brothers, behold, I tell you a mystery, verse 51. We won't all sleep. We're not all going to die. But whether you die and you raise again to a new body or... You're just changed. We won't all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Not yet. Not yet. Jesus rose. That's the first fruits. But someday, for good, no more dying. Oh, death, where is your victory? 
Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, 57 verses, therefore, because of all of that, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not what? In vain. You know, I had, had that Bible study and nothing came of it. You know, I, I did this thing and I tried to host people and only three people came to, to this gathering. I wanted to build people up. I'm not sure. Was it worth it? You know, I go through these things and if sometimes it feels like I, I don't know if I'm making a big difference and my life is just hard sometimes and, and, and what's the point of it? Is there value in it? Yes! Your struggle, your service, your labor, your life is not in vain. It has meaning. It has purpose. It has value and significance. Eternal significance. Everything you do in the name of Jesus will last forever. God knows about it. Jesus knows about it. And in that place, that will be our, our greatest joy is to have walked with Jesus and made it home. Because he lives, I have already been made alive. Ephesians 2 talks about how we were dead in our sins, but through Jesus, the spirit and power that rose him from the dead brings life, already brings life. Now, we're not talking about that risen body. We're talking about life already in you in Ephesians 2. In other words, you have resurrection power at work in you now. His divine power has given us everything we need. And, and we, we find in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 that... To, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within you, within me, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Look with me at Colossians 2 and verse 12. It says, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. God is at work bringing life. And what, where we were once dead, God, being rich in mercy, Ephesians 2 verse 4, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
because he lives, we can be buried in baptism and raised to new life with him. Here's the big idea. You can have meaning in life and you can have confidence in death because Jesus really does live. He rose on a Sunday morning. He saw people for 40 days. He ascended to the throne of God and he reigns over his kingdom today, awaiting that day. Could be today, could be many years from now when he comes again to put a final end to death and to create us anew and live with him.